Is everybody set? Yeah. Everybody ready for this? Woo! Oh wait, uh, look. Do we need our costumes? Oh yes, yes. Gotta get ready. <laughs> Very serious. Communications from Starship. Guidewave coming in strong. Switch it over to the loudspeaker, Homer. Yes, sir. I can't stand a man who laughs with his own jokes. <laughs> Well, hello, NDK. And thank you very much for coming to this very special episode of the, the IWMP, the Intermillennium Media Project podcast, which is your source for nostalgia, media criticism, and misuse of parental authority. <laughs> my name is Matthew Porter. And I'm Ian Porter. I'm his dad. He's my son. And uh, for the IMMP, uh, I introduce Ian. I make, I'm, essentially, I make Ian watch television. Yeah. I introduce him to movies and TV and records and other things that were important to me way back in the mists of time in the 20th century, previous millennium. For those of you who like uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000, he gets to be the mad scientist and I'm <laughs> on the spaceship called Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> and, but it's been fun because this means that uh, I get to find out what Ian thinks of these things coming to them brand new usually. We get a chance to talk about what I think of them coming back to them sometimes for the first time in decades. Uh, so it's been a lot of fun. And we've done this for almost five years and a little over uh, 120, 125 episodes. And we've discussed some anime in that time. Yeah, we've gotten a couple. There's some that have come through early enough in your life that they became an impactful part of it. Yeah, last year and here at NDK we talked about Gigantor. And today we're talking about a different anime that had a different sort of impact on me when I was a kid. Oh. I've gotten, gotten to introduce you to this recently. Uh, I, I knew of this one. This is one of those ones I'd heard of before, but never the way you told me. Yes. Before we dive in, though, yes. we need to acknowledge Leiji Matsumoto, without whom we wouldn't be talking about Star Blazers. Uh, a giant in anime, especially Gen X anime fans like me, uh, not only... Space Battleship Yamato that I knew as Star Blazers, but also Galaxy Express 3-9, Captain Harlock, Lean Esmeraldas, so many uh, really impactful anime. So after we decided to do this as our topic this year, uh, of course the news came uh, in February that uh, Lady Matsumoto had passed away. So that was very sad. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we, we acknowledge the impact that he's had, not just for this show, but across manga and anime and and so many artworks, even with Daft Punk, Daft Punk music videos. Which is the first thing of his I'd seen, and that was yeah. still impactful to me, so absolutely. But we are here to talk about Star Blazers. Yes. Well, not really the year 19... Yeah, I was about to say, I, that, that would make me you, you younger than me, and that's very confusing. Yeah. Okay, that makes more sense. <laughs> We're actually going back to the year 1979. Okay, understood. Because that is when, on local TV, I and all of my friends at about the same time discovered this amazing TV show called Star Blazers. That's not the name I know it under. It's not. No. Okay. <laughs> hmm. And if Gigantor was the first anime that I saw that I, I recognized was from a different place that wasn't the same as all the American cartoons I had seen, Star Blazers was the first anime that I got to, uh, to watch and I got to geek out about with my friends. And that makes anime a very oh, different wow. experience. Geeking out about anime, I don't think anyone here could relate. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely get you. This is something definitely that has that kind of pull. It has, Gigantor has got one place and one person you can be. I can see this being something where all of you could get involved in different ways. And it helped that my friends and I were already into like World War II movies and, and things like that. It, there was a TV show at the time called Baba Black Sheep about kind of a misfit marine fighter pilot squadron in the Pacific during World War II. Okay. Big fans of that. So the fact that this had a World War II battleship, sort of, got yeah. our attention to begin with. 
Makes sense. And of course, it diverges from there. Yeah, it diverges. It takes a hard right turn upward into the atmosphere and into grand space opera. It does. And it was a problem, though, that we were seeing it on local television. It was shown, first of all, it was shown early in the morning. Oh, this was and like Saturday morning cartoon Kathleen? You know, like weekday morning. Oh, boy. Trying to fill before, the, before infomercials became a thing. <laughs> and they're desperate to fill that kind of 6.30 a.m. time slot. There's a local TV station in New York that fell upon Starblazer. Those, those filled very different things, you know, infomercials. You want yourself a World War II battleship? Well, but wait, there's more. <laughs> we stuck a giant engine in it. <laughs> and we couldn't always watch every episode. First of all, I don't know that they showed them in order. I think they kind of showed them a little haphazardly. And we couldn't always get either... I was going to say get permission to. We couldn't always get away with watching <laughs> cartoons uh, early morning on a school day. That makes sense. So How would you know what happens then? That's the tough part. This is not like even Gigantor where it's these discrete little stories. Everything kind of goes back to normal by the end of the episode. You sort of had to know what was happening to have anything make sense. Fortunately, they had us covered. Okay. They made this possible for you to pick up what was going on. They also made it possible for a song to get stuck in your head forever. I'm sorry. I'm warning you, everybody, I'm warning everybody here before I push this button. And just in case that doesn't fill in enough for you. In the year 2199, Earth was under severe attack from a mysterious planet, Gamelon. Gamelon planet bombs cover the Earth with radioactive pollution. And as a result, in one year's time, Earth will be unlivable. But on the planet Iskandar, there is a machine that can remove the radioactivity. Queen Starshot offers it to the people of Earth. A team of star lasers called the Star Force undertakes a perilous journey. But can the Star Force travel 148,000 light years and back in just one Earth year? So you could come in at almost any episode and have some idea what's going on. Oh, yeah. That's a pretty good recap. That's a pretty decent recap. And that sets us up for the, the story arc of the first season, which is the only one I saw back in the 70s when I discovered this. Is, is the quest for Iskandar, which they yeah. summarize very neatly there. It's a, it's a pretty good summary. Um, you know what, Dad? Yeah? I think I can do better. Better summary. I think I can do better summary. All right. And if any of you know They Might Be Giants, you'll know this one. <laughs> oh, Iskandar aboard the Yamato. Go to Iskandar aboard the Yamato. Without the gamma lawns, without the Yamato. Now the Earth's a blight, not a pretty sight. Everyone <laughs> aboard the Yamato goes to Iskandar, not headed to Pluto. Stick a wave engine inside the Yamato, not headed across the stars. In this TV show, it gets called the Argo. Change the name and what people say. Voyager liked it better that way. So Wildstar is crew on the Argo. He adventure work defending the Argo. And his brother's dead. He's not on the Argo. Right? Avatar gave him a shot. That's not very clear right from the start. Iskandar. Iskandar. I, that would have been very cool if they had started with that. Absolutely. Not that I don't like the, the Starblazer song. Absolutely. <laughs> so. But you raised what I think is the main character of this show. Yeah. Is the Yamato. Exactly. And I'm surprised they mention it by name in this show. Well, 
Sort of. Yeah. They very quickly rechristened the Yamato the Argo because in the late 70s, Japanese things were not as cool as they became, say, 20 years later. Yeah. My friends and I watching these World War II movies, a lot of that was because our fathers had fought in World War II. Uh, and in the original Japanese version, we're, we're talking about star blazers here, not space battleship or space cruiser Yamato, the, the original Japanese version of this anime. But in the original, there was much more about what the Yamato represented and the, the spirit of a people and all of these things. That wasn't necessarily going to fly for A, what Pun was not being, intended. Yeah. <laughs> what was being pitched as a kid's cartoon in the US and given the cultural state in the US. So they acknowledged this. This was the wreck of, a, of, a, of an ancient 20th century battleship, the Yamato. And they quickly rechristened it the Argo. It oh. is a very cool ship. And we get to see its transformation. It goes from this wreck that's buried in sediment on the bottom of, the, of what had been the sea until the planet bombs boiled those away. And it's being secretly refurbished from the inside, from the underground cities that people have retreated to. Yeah. Turned into a space cruiser as a last ditch effort to, to save humanity, to give them a weapon or a ship at least that is capable of, of taking on the Gamelons who have an overwhelming force who have been reaching farther and farther into the solar system yeah. from Pluto. I, I will acknowledge here that people living in underground cities building a technological marvel as their only hope against the grand thing that has forced them underground. I think it's giving me Neon Genesis Evangelion flashbacks, but I think it's supposed to give people Yamato flashbacks the other way around here. It does put the Yamato and an Ava in weird close proximity. That's an interesting idea. It makes me wonder a little more about the technology that was added to the Yamato. Yeah, exactly. It makes me a little creeped out by the possibility <laughs> having seen Evangelion a few times. Yeah, but still. It's but it's a beautiful ship. Beautiful ship. I love the look of that ship. It's got that naval architecture presence to it, and yet they've turned it into a cool space opera interstellar ship. I just love that look. It is excellent. But it's not just what they, originally they just wanted to make the best battleship they could. But conveniently, around the time they were finishing the Argo, another enemy of the same, or another planet that's been suffering under the assaults of the Gamelons, sends to Earth special information about how to, A, build a special engine that will allow them to cross hundreds of thousands of light years of space to get to the planet where they can get a technology that's going to help restore Earth, make it livable again. So, this, is, this has got to be some sort of wild engine, though, to get them oh, this yes. fast. What does it even look like when they go? It is wild. The wave motion engine that is added to the Yamato, the space warp engine, it's a, techno it's a gift from this other planet, we don't get to actually see, we get, they use it throughout the trip. Mm -hmm. get to see them use it once on their first warp. And it's very weird. Get ready. Even in black and white on a tiny portable television, it was very weird. So here we've got what happens on their first trip on, in the wave motion, in the, in the Yamato with the wave motion engine. on this production team really liked 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh, absolutely. And 
You ever looked at your model shelf while the cold medicine kicks in? Congratulations, you've got a wave motion engine. And I kind of think that maybe Douglas Adams thought about this when he was writing about the uh, infinite improbability drive in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's got some similar vibes there. They go everywhere and every when until they, uh, and that's only, that's the jump from near the, near our moon to near Mars. Oh my God. So just and a they have to go from our galaxy, leave our galaxy and go to one of the Magellanic clusters. It, it's a long trip and a lot of these jumps. It, I can't imagine that. It does stay. make sense that instead of doing one long burn or one long <laughs> jump, they do it in little bursts, both to make sure that they don't break anything like the people's brains <laughs> and to give us enough chances to have episodes in between as they do things on the way. Yeah, I mean, it could have, could have been just a simple trip. We fire up this engine. We get to the planet Iskandar. But we need a story of the week yeah. for this saga. We need to be back in real space where we have to deal with missiles and mines and trips and, and, and tracks. Tricks and traps. I like that. Yeah. Uh, from the Gamelons. And that's essentially what most of the saga becomes. It's a, it's a challenge of the week, be it a trap laid by the Gamelons or a strange cosmic event like a, a octopus nebula. Or yeah. We've got a line about that later. But yeah, this is, this is, a, this is a journey to you know, strange new worlds and destinations to go where no one has gone before. That kind of thing. That kind of thing. You know, pretty, pretty new. <laughs> and so they've got this wave motion engine in what they've turned this World War II battleship into. But, you know, human beings are creatures of ingenuity. They we, weren't just leaving this at an engine. Absolutely. You give us something that can put thrust in one direction, we will find a way to put thrust in a different direction, yeah. which results in... Energy is energy. <laughs> so, as long as you're putting a wave motion engine in there, let's put in a wave motion gun. Yes. They, <laughs> they don't fire this too often in the show, because every time they fire it, it seems to do tremendous damage to the Argo. Yeah. But they, it's there in case they really need it in a pinch, and they use it a few times. Absolutely. I know exactly how strong this is. I know exactly what this can do to somebody. If you want to OTK someone in Yu-Gi-Oh! in a way they never saw coming, you can be just like the Yamato. <laughs> now maybe the wave motion engine doesn't actually do a lot of damage to your, your enemy. It just sends them on a trip that they are not going to come down <laughs> they're not. They're not recovering from that, that trip. That would be an effective Absolutely. Effective hey, you are now three different colors moving in different directions. <laughs> you know what? That's an effective weapon. Yes. I'm pretty sure the CIA experimented with <laughs> Probably. No question. Absolutely. So I think of the Yamato, the Argo, as the main character in, in uh, Star Blazers in a lot of ways. But of course, we've got a lot of other characters. And it's a pretty good mix, a pretty good ensemble as characters go and as, as space opera anime go for the crew of the Yamato. Yeah, uh, I um, mean... I'm sorry. The crew of the Argo. Yep. <laughs> Or should be. I'm oh, sorry. The, the space force. Yes, uh, that's it. It's like they took the name. <clears throat> it's like they took the name Yamato and put that in a box, and then just for good measure, they took the new name Argo and put that in another box. Because for most of the show, they just refer to the combination of the Argo and their crew as the space force, which is pretty cool. We liked that when I was a kid. Yeah, force is a cool thing, especially yep. when it's in space. <laughs> And that gives us the characters who are the crew of, of the Argo. And first up is Derek Wildstar. Wow. It's going to shock you to know these are not the original Japanese names. Yeah. What? They kind of Americanized them a bit. So they picked a typical American name like Wildstar. Yeah. The kind of people you'd meet in everyday life. Absolutely. And, yeah. You, you got you, you to gotta love an, a uniform that is directly like, shoot here. Center mass. Please. I, yeah. It's, I mean, it's kind of an anchor. It's kind of like. Yep. Like, I, I'm not quite a red shirt because not all of my shirt's red, but, you know, we'll figure. And there's a little color coding. We should yeah. have different colored arrows for different characters. Oh, different colors for different departments. That's pretty cool. And, different, and generic Wildstar, he's kind of generic to me. <laughs> he's a generic hot-headed hero. You know? he's, but, 
he, he's very much also this sort of like lead character you'd expect of the time. I can do the thing. Let me shoot it. Yes. Where is my brother? Is he dead? <laughs> yeah. That, that kind of does summarize a lot of his interactions. But he's also likable in all of that. Yeah, he's an easy choice for your favorite main character if you're in sixth or seventh grade. That makes sense. Seventies. <laughs> oh wait, Derek Wildstar. How, how would on. you know? He's what's that? How would you know that? <laughs> <laughs> and. He's, like you say, he's super confident. He is the main gunner on board the Argo, so he gets to pull the trigger when they use that wave motion gun. Yes. He's also the lead pilot in their fighter, their fighter squadron that launches from the Argo. And he's, he's, he's brooding, he's angry and troubled by mm -hmm. his, his, his tragic past. There's Unique a, for characters. Now. Yeah, there, there's an entire episode of like, why aren't you calling home? I've got no one to call. It's like the entire summary. That that, that says a lot about this that, guy. And that, pretty impactful, but yeah. especially the more the more anime you watch, the more stories you listen to, mm. the more it's a certain kind of type. And there's not a lot of variation. In so that uh, that implies we're going to need his equally equally focused, but a little bit more level-headed best friend. We do. Okay, good. <laughs> Another very typical American name they decided to use, Mark Venture. Yeah. And he is, he's, he's a kind of a hothead, but not nearly as much as Derek Wildstar. Yeah. Lukewarm head. confident. We actually see him questioning his ability. He's the, the kind of the pilot navigator on the Argo, and he's got to do the calculations to make sure the space warps go right, and he's really sweating bullets. Can he do these correct? Because if he doesn't, if he, if he messes these up, the Argo and its crew are lost, and the Earth. Yeah, you kind of like, I'd expected a modern show to have the like, the staring at the console scene run longer, but they, they show him kind of really stressing these out. And I, I like that, it gave him a little more depth. I always liked him, he was a more interesting character to me than Derek Wildstar. Okay. I also like the voice acting they did for him. He was like from the planet Flatbush in the Brooklyn scene. <laughs> Absolutely. His voice is wild. Here it is. This is the Octopus Star Group. It has more ways to stop us than an octopus has arms. <laughs> so it's got nine ways to stop us. <laughs> <laughs> so I liked, I liked Mark Venture a lot. Yeah. He doesn't get all the glory that Derek Wildstar does, but he's a cool character. Yeah. And then we have Nova Forrester. If she looks familiar, we'll explain that later. <laughs> uh, Nova Forrester is a nurse, also a radar operator, and she helps Mark Venture with the space warp calculations when it's time to use the wave motion engine. Clearly, she is the smartest person aboard the Argo. Yeah. yeah. And the most level-headed, I think. Absolutely. She could, it really does seem like she could pilot this entire thing to Iskandar and back on her own. With less drama. With less drama. <laughs> Everyone else is on her way, in her way, but she's glad she doesn't have to bother with some of it. <laughs> and interesting, early on, in some of the early episodes when there are big shots of, of group shots of the crew where like, the captain is addressing the crew, we see other women throughout the crew of the Argo. And yet later on, in later episodes, they seem to indicate that she's the only woman in the crew. So they sort of changed their mind about that. Yeah. On. Um, certainly she's the only uh, female character with any dialogue or things to do for the vast majority of the show. But, uh, but she's definitely a character who compels some attention mm -hmm. when she's on screen. She's our main nurse. Who does she work alongside? Oh. Dr. Sane. Yeah, that. I mean, the name, he says that he's sane. That's better than that's the That's better, yeah. But I don't, he, see, oh, he seems to be a competent doctor when it counts. But the rest of the time, I really don't know if I would trust him. Absolutely. As you can see there, he is holding a bottle of his favorite mineral yes, water. He loves mineral water. As they keep telling us in every scene. <laughs> when I was a kid, I really want to do, 
do people from Japan just get really silly when they drink mineral water? Yeah. And then later on, I might not be fluent in Japanese, but I know enough to know that that's a big bottle and the label on that does not say mineral water. Yeah. <laughs> but again, they're pitching this as a kid's show. They don't want the doctor drunk on sake. So it's mineral water. And they explain this later where it's, there's a special spring in Japan and they brought this with them to remind them of home. But gosh, Dr. Sane loves that mineral water. Yeah. And it has its impact on it. Yeah, they brought it to remind him of home. Have enough of it, you forget home. <laughs> and, uh, he sleeps with a bottle of it. Yeah, it really, really he sleeps like. Sleeps off the bottle of it. No, he, he's holding that thing like a teddy bear in half of those scenes. <laughs> and uh, I do think that his, his success rate as a doctor is probably enhanced by the fact that uh, Nova assists him yeah. in operations and the like. Once again, she's the only competent one. Uh, there's one other competent person, or kind of. <laughs> Best dang robot since Marvin in uh Oh in Hitchhikers. In Hitchhikers. <laughs> he is so this is so good. I love him. This is a robot who's who, who never fails to let you know how intelligent he is. Yes. Uh he's capable of lying. Yeah. We learned that. One of the first things we see him do is literally like press his entire head against the door to listen into a conversation he's not supposed to be there for. <laughs> And he is somebody else who kind of keeps Dr. Sane in line, makes sure he wakes up for the surgery he's about to perform. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And there is a one episode in which he realizes that he has fallen in love with Nova. Oh. So this is a sad robot in love. Yeah. How is that not a compelling character? I mean... How is not the... That, how is that not the premise... He's too, so it's yeah. not... I'm not... This, this ignore that. IQ9 could get his entire own light novel series in the modern era. Yes. And it would go well for him. <laughs> He's got that much personality. So, um, yeah. So it's an interesting character, a funny character, a sad character. Oh, yeah. There's a lot to IQ9. Absolutely. And finally. Then there's Captain Avatar. Now, he's a, he's a heck of a guy. Beyond the fact that Mark Venture was probably my favorite character as a kid, I really thought Captain Avatar was cool. Um, things don't go super well for Captain Avatar. He's yeah. an old school naval captain, takes on the, the command of the Argo. Turns out he's very ill because he's been in a lot of space battles, but he still commands the Argo well and he's this combination of gruff, decisive command and emotion it's a character you don't see in a lot of American or European space opera or, or military science fiction. And I think that Captain Avatar just stands out as such a cool character. Oh, yeah. He's, he's got a lot of personality. He's got that, like, gruff kind of, I'm trying to make you better because I'm going to go down with this ship or I'm going to go down and the ship will need a captain kind of attitude. <laughs> yes. I have total confidence in you, but I'm in command. Exactly. <laughs> I love him. He's great. Absolutely. Wonderful. And he wears his hat really well. He does. And he wears his hat all the time. Uh, do we see him take it off when he gets surgery? No. He's there in the hospital bed. He's yeah. just gotten out of surgery and he's wearing the hat. Oh my God. He, only time I remember him not wearing the hat is when he's in a spacesuit and he's wearing a fishbowl space helmet. I kind of wanted to see a little second space helmet for the hat <laughs> on top of his space helmet. I like to imagine that in the part of the space where we can't see through the space helmet, there's a tiny hat perched on top of his head. <laughs> yeah. Because he's, otherwise he's always wearing that hat. Exactly. And he's got great fashion sense. And that would be plenty of characters for most anime, for most space opera. That's a pretty good complement of characters, but they give us more. They make the Argo seem like this city on the move, mm -hmm. this fully staffed battleship. So we get a lot of additional characters. And I've got to credit both the writing and the voice acting in this American dub that I saw first and that I showed you yes. this past month or two. There, there is an effort put into making these real distinctive characters. You get a sense that, yeah, there's, there's, we're not seeing all the details of every one of these characters, but there is detail there to be found between the voices and the different styles and the different duties we see them take on on the, uh, on the Argo. It's a great crew, especially for a 1970s dub. 
Very impressive. Absolutely. Uh, this is this also reminds me a lot to, of the uh, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea TV series. It's this group of close-knit people on a a, a, a a ship dealing with these problems. If you like submarine films in general, this is the sort of this has got that same sort of vibe, and they do it well by making it a large enough crew that they can pop in and out when there's a situation that involves their part and their piece of things. And some of these characters have secrets that we learn when they become featured characters in the Challenge of the Week episode. Exactly. Gives them people to work with so that even though they've really highlighted Derek Wildstar and Mark Venture, they don't have to be the ones to solve every problem. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. So that's the crew of the Argo, the ones that we... Um, we see the most. But then there are also the Iskandarians. It was Iskandar that sent the information to Earth about how to make the wave motion engine, and the fact that the Cosmo DNA is available, and that's going to help purify Earth and get rid of the, uh, the radiation. Mm -hmm. Oh. Yeah, the first Iskandarian <laughs> that's met is, is Princess Astra, who was sent to bring this message. And that's about as much as we see. Princess. Yeah, th this is not an easy delivery. This is a pickup off of what's remaining. Yeah, this is find the wreckage of her ship that has crashed Ooh, on Mars. Yeah. And fortunately, trainees Wildstar and Venture were on Mars to, to, to find her body and find the, the message canister that she brought with her mm -hmm. from Iskandar. And that message canister had a message from her sister, Queen Starsha. Like, oh yeah, sorry about your sister. Thank you for the, the information. This does leave us with one orange-haired sister uh, who's willing to go on grand adventure and one blonde-haired sister who sits in a giant semi-fractal kind of palace. I'm getting frozen vibes is all I'm saying. <laughs> but it doesn't turn well for this version of Anna. No, they do not let it go. No. <laughs> and... And yeah, these are the only two Iskandarians we, we meet. You know all of them now. Yeah, oh. that's, that's all the Iskandarians there are. Things have not gone well for the Iskandarians. No. Yeah, they have not fared well in general or against Gamelon. Mm -hmm. But you might notice that if you, I've, we showed you pictures of Nova. You saw uh, Queen, Princess Astra. You can see her sister, Queen Starsha. If, if you think it's just you, it's not. Yeah, pretty much every Leiji Matsumoto female character looks like this. <laughs> Thank that, you. Yeah. It's you know, Princess Starsha, Nova, Maytel from Galaxy Express 3.9, Queen Esmeraldas, has a different hair color, but still. <laughs> but that's not an accident. It's not just that there's a lack of imagination or he thinks every, every character comes out this way. This is actually based on someone who made an impression on Leiji Matsumoto. Marianne Hold, German actress who made movies mostly in the 1930s. And when he was young, Matsumoto saw one of her movies and was just captivated by her acting and by her, her appearance. And he has acknowledged this in interviews that essentially every character he's created, every female character he's created, has been an attempt to capture what was so magical for him about Marianne Hold and the characters that she played. So that's why they all look this way. And you see this picture of Marianne Hold, you can see this is what he was going for, and he achieved it in, yeah. the, in, in his anime and manga style. The, this is centralized casting. <laughs> but at least they kind of acknowledge that in Star Blazers. Yeah, because at the moment they arrive on Iskandar, the queen's just like, my sister, you changed your hair color. No, it's not me. She's dead. Oh, oh, <laughs> like very, like yeah. it confuses them in story about this no, exact it looks same thing. Just effect. like Starja, who looks just like Astra. Exactly. What's going, on here? What's going on here? And they never explain because that's <laughs> not the point. But still. So we've learned about the crew of the Argo. Mm -hmm. We've learned about the Iskandarians, all two of them. Yes. <laughs> But of course, we've got to have bad guys. Yeah. yeah. We've got to have the Gamelons. And there are a bunch of them. Apart from two of them, a lot of them are interchangeable. The space opera with a lot of interchangeable bad guys, not exactly a novel idea. 
But the first one, the most impressive, is Lord Deslock. That's yes. a cool name for a bad guy. That is a dang cool name. And, and, and if this picture sells you anything, yeah, this is a guy who sits back and says, you didn't blow them up. I told you to blow them up. Get out of my sight, you're ruining my wine. It's kind of this guy's style in a perfect way. It is. And you've captured that voice just right. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and he knows how to live. All, for for the, more than half of the series, every time we check in on Deslock, he is in a hot tub or lounging on this giant plush divan, surrounded by women who may or may not be Gamelonians or Gamelons themselves, with wine or getting massages. He is just ha living his best he, life. He takes it while ordering others to destroy Earth. He, 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 he commands at least one minefield bombing run via bubble bath, I believe. Yes. He does not let organizing a, an interplanetary assault get in the way of self-care. Exactly. Very important. This guy's got his priorities down. Now, somebody who can learn a little bit from Deslock in this way is General Lysis. Who sounds like what if Sam Eagle was on the bad guy's side? <laughs> <laughs> General Lysis is out there in the field. At, not at first. At first, there are some other officers trying to run things, trying to take care of this little planet that hardly has space flight. It's not going to be hard to destroy them until the Argo launches. Then General Lysis has to step in and take over. Yeah. And he is a, a no-nonsense military man. He's going to prove himself to Deslock by doing what all these other generals and officers could not do. And he gets increasingly frustrated throughout this series. Yes. And taking it out on more and more of these junior officers. Who also all kind of have fun, muppety voices and odd styling. The voice work really plays up the Gamelons as threatening but weird. And that's a key point. They're never quite funny. They're always just odd, alien in a specific way. They seem to be going through the entire catalog of 1930s Universal Pictures monster movie bad guys. Yeah. You've got somebody doing a Boris Karloff voice, somebody doing a Peter Lorre voice, all these old actors who, again, if you're watching local TV in the 70s, you would have seen these movies over and over. This is what evil bad guys sound like. That they nailed it for the, the Gamelon. Absolutely. And there are a few times in which it seems like, I don't know, the Gamelons are not quite challenging enough. Yeah. They seem very imposing, very impressive. They've got all this technology, they've got all these bases throughout the galaxy, and yet their traps never, never, they're always interesting and innovative, but they never really come close to succeeding, it seems to me. And some of them actually do blow up in the Gamelon's faces in a very wily Coyote versus Roadrunner, but slow way, where they will set up an entire minefield that the, you know, the Argo will figure out a way to move everything around and get through. And now there's a bunch of mines in the way of chasing after the Argo, and it's like, oh no. The only thing worse than what's just happened is that I need to call the home office and tell them it happened. Oh no. <laughs> that means I'm not around to clean this up. That means someone else is, because I will not be anymore. <laughs> kind of bad guy organizational. One of the more interesting uh, tactics that the Argo winds up using <laughs> is when they, they bring asteroids into their service. Yeah, they create themselves a shield of asteroids to block incoming fire. They, 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 they have magnetic uh, grapples on all these asteroids. And then they use the magnetic manipulation capabilities of the Argo to create this ring of asteroids around them to deflect Gamelon fire. And like we were saying about, well, if you've got an engine, you've got a gun. This also lets them shoot asteroids at the Gamelons, and it's very effective. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's those kind of things that are most interesting. I'm glad... Oh. oh, sorry. I'm glad that they did not just um, use the wave motion gun at every, every opportunity, every time there was something in the way, because that would have made all these challenges even more easy. Exactly. The, the gun is there for 
the really big things, and there's plenty of times when the fight about whether or not we should use the gun is part of the tension of how they solve the problem, even if they don't use the gun. And that may, uh, reminds me of one character we didn't mention, who's the engineer. Yes. Who's kind of there to yell the stakes as to what they're doing to the ship yes. at everyone else. And he, he knows this ship inside and out. He's going to make it do everything it can. But he is not going to mince words when it comes to how much damage they've had and how tough this is going to be. Mm -hmm. So he is another good character. He is always giving it all she's got, Captain. I found the most interesting stories were the ones where the, the challenge for the Argo wasn't just something that had been set up by the Gamelons. Things mm -hmm. like the Octopus Star System or the Octopus Star Cluster, where it's this, this star storm that is blocking their way. And, and it seems kind of one or two-dimensional. You're navigating through space that something is that much in your way. You can't go around, but it works for the sake of the story. And one of the things that, make, that keeps the tension going as all of these delays come up and all of these, uh, these challenges get in their way is the fact that they are on a ticking clock. It's established early on that Earth has one year, just like it says in the song, in one year the radiation buildup on Earth is going to make it completely and permanently uninhabitable. It'll penetrate all the way down to the cities and kill everyone. The Earth will go away. So they have to get to Iskandar, get this Cosmo DNA device that's going to purify the Earth and get back in one year. And at the end of every episode, the announcer gravely tells you how many days are left. Like, hurry, Star Force. You've only got 212 days left. And that, that's weirdly effective. It's simple. Wildly effective. But very and effective. Every episode, you're like, oh, I can, like, they, they leave you on that note of tension. And they never let up. And that is a, a a driving force and especially when you've got episodes to watch on like a DVD nowadays it pulls you into the next one amazingly I can only imagine what it would be like if you had an entire week or something to watch the net till you had to watch the next one it was that would have been driving me up the wall and there's another subplot another subcurrent that we see through this related to Derek Wildstar. And you mentioned this earlier about his brother. Yeah. His brother had been on a ship with uh, our Captain Avatar, and he apparently didn't make it. But his status is unknown for a while, and there's little clues and hints that something else is going on. It seems pretty clear at the beginning. Oh, he used his smaller ship to cover the retreat of Avatar's ship from the Battle of Pluto, and... The ship that, uh, uh, that Alex Wildstar was captaining was destroyed. But then the wreckage of that ship was found. And there are clues to suggest maybe there were survivors. So that keeps Derek Wildstar going, and it keeps us wondering, what are they going to find when they get to the end of this trip? Mm -hmm. and what else are they going to find on all these stops they have to make during the trip? And it gives something where Wildstar can be the loyal right-hand man firing the guns and saving the ship at Avatar's command, and angry at Avatar for letting his brother die, depending on how the story needs it. That does give, give um, Wildstar... A more of a story arc, more opportunity to change. Yeah. Because his opinion of Captain Avatar changes. He hated Avatar at the beginning because he saw him as the guy who let his brother die. Mm -hmm. So we watched this this first season. Yep. Watched through the season. Got got the entire story of that. And you guys mind spoilers? Yes. Sure. Okay. I won't tell you whether Earth survives or not. You'll have to find out yourself. But, but that means... We're into our final questions here on the podcast. The one question we have for everything that we watch is, are we going to recommend to our listeners binge or no binge? Is this something that you should watch either in one go, or you should pace yourself, or should you just ignore it? So this, how do you feel, binge or no binge? I was really uncertain at the start, but... Watching more of it, if you if you like this kind of older anime, it's a binge. It's worth it. There's a lot of fun stuff, and this is just a fine example of the anime of the time in that sense. You want to get an idea of what that 70s kind of style was? This is an excellent entry point. And the fact that it's got this 
translated dub version means that there's also a fine comparison, being able to see what the original is like compared to the Americanized version. And it's one of those things where they didn't change too much about the core, but you could see what they prioritized and what they needed to remove and change and take out and switch around. Yeah, it is well worth seeing. Even if you love Star Blazers, this Americanized version, it is well worth going back and watching a few episode of episodes of the original Japanese version to see what has changed and to see what did not change. Yeah. There's more that was kept than I really expected. Mm -hmm. Because I've seen some other anime where in the 70s, TV was looked desperate for content for kids. They would take the footage from the anime and they just totally recut it, totally redub it, use it for a completely different story. And that's not this, they, they honored the story in, in a very real way in turning it into Star Blazers. Yeah. So our next uh, questions that we always have here at the IMMP. And this is a tough one now. Revive, reboot, or rest in peace? What do we think should be done that is with Star That is a good question. Now, one thing to notice is this is Space Battleship Yamato. There are so many versions. Space Battleship Yamato has been made over and over and over. It and has. over. <laughs> and over. This is the original TV version. There are animated films. Around 2012, they made Yamato 2199, a total yeah. remake. Total remake. There's live action. The live action movie version of Space Battleship Yamato. I like that. We might have to watch that as a bonus episode. That might have to be a Patreon bonus episode. I think that's a pretty good live action adaptation. Absolutely. And of course, there are manga and American comics, all based on Star Blazers and Space Cruiser Yamato. So it's hard to ask or answer that question about revive, reboot, or rest in peace when they just never stop making this. Yeah. So we could suggest whether or not they should make another one. And honestly, it sounds like they're gonna, regardless of what we say. But yeah, it, gives, it definitely leads to the question of like, which one of these becomes your favorite at that point? Not whether or not they should, but which one red resonated with you? Well, that's a question for you guys. Anybody have a favorite version of Yamato or Star Blazers or any of, uh, of what was made? What's your favorites? Anybody seen this show before? Do you, which versions have you seen? Or what do you like best? The most recent one. Oh. The, the, the most recent uh, anime version? Not the live action. The live action is pretty good as well. Yeah. That, yeah. The live action is good. I like uh, that. That's a pretty good one. Again, they stay true to the tone in that live action somehow. And they managed to make that work. Absolutely. Well, I've got... I, I, maybe it's just because my history with it. I think Star Blazers is my favorite version. The okay. Original, the original that I saw. But there's none of the others that I have seen that I did not like. I have not seen much of 2199, but everything I have seen of it makes me think they've done a really good job with it. Mm -hmm. And like I say, I like that live action version. I've seen little bits of the other ones, and I've liked them. Star Blazers is the one I've seen now the most of, and it really did read to me. And I think that this definitely needs more reboots and more making to have new versions. So, so you know, whether you like... Whether you say revive, reboot, or rest in peace, I think it's always going to keep being rebooted. Exactly. Revival, in our terms, tends to mean it's going to be brought back with the same continuity, a next generation of the same story. There's not as much of that. They seem to be coming back to tell the same story again. And the first, the first anime version, it had three different seasons with three different story arcs, the same, roughly the same cast of characters. And they seem to be going back to retell those. And that makes sense. These are stories, they, they work well with these characters, they work well with this ship and this setting, but there are new ways to tell them as time goes on. So it makes sense to me that they keep uh, remaking them, rebooting them. Yeah. And I think they're going to continue doing that. I hope they continue doing that. I hope that they continue doing it. There's something different and new in each version they do. Exactly. One thing they cannot really match, though, is that song. They, they gotta have that song. And I warned you, you hear that a couple of times, it is gonna be stuck. You're gonna hear that song in your head forever. I'm sure you are now, but I've shown you like 26 episodes in, uh, in the course of four weeks or so. I found myself humming it in the middle of the <laughs> night. What have you done? Of the modern anime that you have seen, Yes. What would you recommend to somebody who's a fan of Space, of, of, of space Battleship Yamato or Star Blazers? That's a really good question. In some ways, I want to say that some of the 
a smaller. No, I'm, you're, you're, I'm, I'm having a, I'm <laughs> having to pull up. This song on you, you, just, you, uh, you sprung this on me. I'm having to pull up my Crunchyroll watch list to just get right. an idea here. <sighs> Honestly, I think that. Anybody else have a recommendation? Yes. What should any listeners who liked Star Blazers, what else should they watch? Ray Earth. Ray Earth. Ray Earth, yeah. Check series because it's like the granddaddy, basically. That's true. Yes. Yeah. If you liked this, watch Macross, of course. Oh, dude, any of those Macross. classics. Or Star Trek. Yeah, kind of oh, 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 Nadia. Yeah. Nadia references this so much. <laughs> and. It's not quite the same because it's, this is not as mecha, but it, do, it does always remind me of everybody's favorite anime in Martian successor, Nadesco. Oh, yeah, I have it. Yes. Nadesco is excellent. That's kind of, I guess, my, my thing. I watch a lot more romance anime than, <laughs> than action anime. <laughs> well, we warned you about the song. And it is a song that is perfect for sing-alongs. All right. So, so whether you, if, if you've heard the song once, you probably know it. If not, you can watch the screen. But it is time to sing along with the Star Blazers theme song. Andy. Woo! We're off to outer space. We're leaving Mother Earth to save the human race. Our star blazers Searching for a distant star Heading off to Iskandar Being all in a behind Who knows what dangers we'll find We must be strong and brave Our home we got to save If we don't in just one year Mother Earth will disappear Fighting with the Gamma Longs, we won't stop until we've won, and we'll return, and when we arrive, the Earth will survive with our Star Blazers! Ba, 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 ba. <laughs> well, thank you very much. You guys have been great.